Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we've got a new format here, and I have been playing it, and that's about all I can say for the moment. (laughs) Ben promised me that he was going to keep this podcast salt-free. Do you think you can keep that promise? I think so. I think salt-free, for sure. I'm going to have some constructive criticisms along the way of the format, maybe, but I'm, in general, not going to complain, because I think it's just not interesting for us to talk about two things and, like, complain about blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't love this format, but... We're still going to be playing it a lot, and we're still going to be trying to help you win in this format as much as we possibly can, because I think that is the mission statement of our podcast, if there is one. We don't have it written down. We probably should have done that. (laughs) I think so. I mean, it's, you know, our website, a podcast dedicated to getting you better at limited magic. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what we're going to do today for sure. And I actually think this is going to be some pretty darn good content. I think the fact that you and I are having different experiences with the format, but I think still largely agreeing on the rules of engagement is going to make for some really good discussions. For sure. Yeah, it'll be good. All right. So before we get into our big info dump after first weekend of Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate, we've got a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It's where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show's always, of course, going to be free, but we like to give people some perks if they want to give back to the show. If you feel like, you know, it's helped you get some gems or win some drafts of your LGS. I got to say, just a quick pause. It is always, always awesome to hear people who say, hey, I got to Diamond for the first time, got to Mythic for the first time, want to draft to my LGS, and it's because of y'all's content. That never gets old. What are we, just uh, over five years of doing this podcast together, Ben? And I just, I'm never going to get sick of hearing stuff like that. Yeah, super awesome to get feedback like that. And you're going to be getting even more of it now that you're making videos for the Mothership (laughs) website, right? (laughs) Yeah, 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 I did. I made a little uh, draft walkthrough video for the official Watsi YouTube channel, which was a very cool milestone for my content creation journey. Very, very excited about that. If you haven't checked that out, you can find it on my Twitter feed. You can just go and look up Magic the Gathering on YouTube and you can find my video there and hear my uh, my sultry tones walking you through an Alchemy Horizons draft. Uh, that was very, very cool. But talking about the Patreon page, everybody who gives back to the show there gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is just a fantastic 24-7 limited tech support resource on the internet. I really do believe it's the best limited community out there. Really, really proud to have that uh, associated with our show. And a lot of awesome stuff as you move up the reward tiers there. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Johnny Rock, Derek, Sean, Endo, and Ben. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Good strong name, Ben. (laughs) Got to finish strong there. (laughs) Thank you, as always, to those patrons. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related. They've got it all, except for Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate, because that is digital only. Even Channel Fireball has good taste in product that they are offering. So Savage. That's one. (laughs) That's one. If you're keeping track at home, that's one solid point there. They've got sealed product. They've got Double Masters 2022. They've got Commander Legends Baldur's Gate sealed product. So if you need any of that, maybe you're stocking up for a future draft with friends, you can get on the CFB marketplace and order some sealed product. They've also got singles if you're trying to finish out a commander deck, a pioneer deck, whatnot. Constructed is back. Paper tournaments are back. So make sure you get all that stuff from Channel Fireball. In addition to that, if you need strategy content to help you win those tournaments, or maybe just to help you win a draft on Arena, you can get more action at CFB Pro. They've got articles if you're a member of cfb pro and you can subscribe to that monthly and for any and all of that that you do over there at channel fireball please make sure you use code lol all caps to let them know that we sent you over there all right no time like the present ben no time to waste let's talk about alchemy horizons Baldur's gate what do you got for me what are your thoughts 
I think it is really interesting that I don't like it and you do, but I largely vomited my thoughts about the format in the show notes and you were like, yeah, I basically agree with that. So it might just be a different different taste in what we're looking for. I do think so. I do think I'm going to actually, I feel bad because as I'm looking at this first point, I think this will be a bit of a a contentious point or perhaps a a point to explore, but I'm going to let you take take it away with this first thought and then I'm going to push back a little bit. Yeah, I think this is a back to basics corset in specialized clothing. I think, you know, AFR kind of replaced corsets last summer and this format is largely a bunch of cards from AFR, about half the cards or a third of the cards, enough that it does not feel super meaningfully different in terms of like the core flavor of the format are from AFR. And then there's a bunch of new alchemy cards thrown in. So I think this is a corset in specialized clothing. And I think this is about as close to a bread format as we get these days, you know, bombs, removal, evasion abilities, dudes or whatever, whatever bread means to you. I think (laughs) picking cards in that order is a good idea in this format. Yeah, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is when you say corset, what does that mean to you? I think it, it generally in my mind has like a negative connotation. But what do you mean when you say that this feels like a corset? I think I would identify that as a format where the colors all have really strong identities and they do their thing. And there's not a lot of intricate synergy. Decks tend to have high creature counts. There's not a lot of tricky spells or spell like effects, not a lot of build arounds, usually that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's generally fair. I have found and perhaps it's just coming off the heels of Streets of New Capenna. I have found the drafting portion to be refreshing. Um, And I think we'll get to this in a little bit in terms of like navigating drafts or just talking about, you know, your next point here is that bombs are back. And I agree. I do think that this is a, you know, I don't find Prince versus Pauper to be a very helpful uh, way to describe a format because it doesn't usually enact any like, you know, it doesn't usually change the way that I engage with the format, but I do think I would define it as a format where you need to maximize the best cards that you see. And if you're not seeing best cards, you got to make sure that you're, you know, get going under the decks that are going to have the best cards. And whatever that means, that doesn't have to necessarily be busted rares. It can just be super efficient uncommons or really strong commons, whatever. But like, you really have to know what the good cards in the format are what the cards that are a cut above the rest are at each rarity and be able to snap those up and, and try and steer those into your deck if at all possible. But I have found that, you know, the fixing is plentiful enough and the drafting is interesting enough that my decks have felt different even, you know, from draft to draft if I'm in the same color pair, you know, leaning, am I leaning more dragons or am I leaning more ETB blink stuff, whatever, um, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I do think I agree with the, the sentiment of, you know, you can add as much, you know, specialized or spellbooky stuff, and that makes it feel complex in a way, but that complexity doesn't actually affect the drafting, if that makes sense. And I also don't think it really affects how the games play out. I think the games play out fairly straightforward, too. I finally had some banger games last night uh, for the first time, and I've done, I don't know what, 15 drafts so far this format. But I do think I agree with you that all that stuff is there and you need to know all that stuff. I just think there's some subset of cards that just completely trump all of that. And there's a lot more of them than normal. And I think they are at lower rarities than normal. So you think like in the uncommon realm, you think there are some game warping cards? I think there's some game warping cards in the uncommons. And certainly there are way more game warping rares, like as far as Dream Trawler-esque levels of card at rare and mythic rare. Like they are 
rampant. Yeah, this this feels I think this is a fundamental difference in how you and I enjoy magic. Like we've, we talked about this when Crimson Vow was out, like you really didn't like that set. And I really did. And I think I don't think this is as bomby as Crimson Vow was. I think there's like a handful of pretty egregious cards, but a lot of them are expensive and a lot of them are mythic. And so those don't bother me as much. And I also think this is a product of you playing best of one and me playing best of three. And I don't know why that is. Because you would think that the best of three player would hate the bombs more because I have to like play two to three games against them. Whereas the best of one player gets to go like, ah, I lost to that bomb, whatever, moving on. But for some reason, it feels way worse in best of one than best of three. Oh, that makes total sense to me. If I were playing against it in best of three and I lost to it in game one, I'd be like, all right, boom, baby, let's go. I get two more chances to try to beat this card. You know it's coming and you get a plan for it. That makes total sense to me. Yes, I agree with that feeling about it, but it just like, I think intuitively or not, maybe not intuitively. I know what I'm trying to say, but I feel like on face value, you'd go, oh, wouldn't the bombs bother the person who's has to face the multiple games more? But I agree it doesn't because you get to go, all right, scooch, I'm going to try and beat this in game two and game three. But I would push back. I think the set is bombier than Crimson Vow, personally. And I think they are at lower mana values than they were in Crimson Vow. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, don't, I haven't crunched the numbers yet, but I'll be interested to see once like the data shakes out where where that all lands. I, I do wonder if you've just sort of, again, been, been up against a handful of these cards more than the average player. Certainly possible. All right. Speaking of these bombs, they're back, right? Draft them. And if you don't get them, you need to be proactive and have removal, which I think leads to our next point, which is that I think this is another format, much like Crimson Vow, where removal is good. That's sort of just a chain reaction thing of if the bombs are bomby, you got to have ways to interact with them. Yeah. And the creatures that are important are really important, right? So you definitely want to be able to remove your opponent's important creatures or some of the creatures are some of the synergy pieces because there is synergy that you can assemble. And being able to get one of those key pieces off the battlefield is super important. And I think one thing that has happened to me that prior to prioritizing removal, if I wasn't careful about it, it was really easy to end up with decks that have like 18 plus creatures and really struggled to interact with my opponent. And I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Any deck I've had that hasn't been able to reliably interact with my opponent when I need to has felt pretty bad. And I think if you don't put a premium on removal, you're going to, without thinking about it, end up with 18, 19, 20 creatures pretty easily. Yeah, and that's probably the most corsetti thing about it, I think, is like how creature heavy your decks can be if you're not really thinking about it. Because usually I would, especially if I'm drafting like an aggressive deck, I'd be like, ooh, threats over removal all day. But then I definitely have drafted aggressive decks where I'm like, I really needed that thing that's going to help me punch through. Like, sure, all of my creatures attack and make more creatures because double team is great. But then what am I doing to push through this big giant monster? Well, I have nothing to do that. Right. And I think to the point that premium removal is certainly premium and you're picking it really highly, like your dragon's fires, your grim bounties, your sewer plagues of the world. But Mm -hmm. even like the tier two removal, I'm a little more willing to run that than I usually am if I don't get enough of the premium removal. I agree. What what do you mean by tier two removal? Just like a ferritus fireball or like a random eye of the beholder cards that I'm pretty unhappy putting in my deck. But if I need interaction, I'm willing to run them. This is like a pretty deep specific cut, but I, I got to shout out 
a card that I really liked in AFR that I think has fallen flat in this format, which is you hear something on watch and it finally clicked for me. Why is because you cannot snap off that double team creature before it gets its attack in. I have used the plus one plus one mode of that yes, yes. more than I have the other mode, which is uh-huh. weird, but you can go wider in this format. And I yes. think uh, you meet in a tavern also got a boost in this format because of that fact. Yeah, I think you meet in a tavern isn't bad. And I, I've definitely had drafts where I've been like, oh, that's a that's a card I might like. I, I'm sure I can wheel it. And then it never wheels. Oh, really? Yeah, I've not. I like see it like fourth pick and I'm like, I'm sure I'm going to see that 11th or 12th or whatever. And then I don't. It makes me sad. Huh. So we've touched on this just a little bit that there are some very aggressive decks. I do think, you know, you I, did you get mono white in this format? Because I did on day zero when we did the early access event. I haven't had it yet. I've played against it. And I think white plays really well with itself and with any other color that wants to be aggressive. And mm-hmm. I think it is super strong. White aggressive decks are the boogeyman of the format to me. Yeah, I think that's definitely got to be true in best of one. I haven't felt I haven't honestly felt like there's been any boogeyman. We're going to talk about color rankings a little later, and I largely agree that there is a ranking. But for me, and again, I think this may just be coming off of Streets of New Capenna, so I'm trying to like, you know, pull my bias there a little bit but i felt like this format is largely open like the worst color is probably blue but i i'm gonna be a big blue apologist for this episode (laughs) i have really blue is i think my most drafted color and my winningest color so far obviously very very small sample size like whatever 10 12 drafts deep but still like i like blue quite a bit and it's probably the worst color but everything has felt playable i haven't felt like there's anything that i'm trying to avoid and there doesn't feel like an S tier deck to me like red black I think is very good but it doesn't feel like the best deck by far you know I agree this is certainly much more balanced than adventures in forgotten realms was or much mm-hmm. more balanced than streets of new Capenna. I think blue is definitely the worst but I think I agree with you that blue is playable I am hoping not to steer into it but if the draft goes that direction for me I will ride the wave Yeah, I'm very cognizant when drafting blue. Like I've just felt like, and this is like now sort of a joke on my stream that what I do is tell people that blue is bad and then I start drafting blue. And then people are like, oh, I see what you're doing. You just like tell people this color is bad and then you snap it up for yourself. But I'm only trying to draft blue when like, I'm seeing young blue dragons, like seventh, eighth on the wheel, that type of thing. Like that's when I'm like, oh, I'm at a table of people who hate blue. So I'll draft blue. That's fine. Yes, that's the time you're supposed to do it when you're clearly at a table of people who hate blue. And then it is fine to draft. Whereas in AFR, it was still like, oh, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And we'll talk about why that is or why we think that is a little bit later. Um, I got to talk. This feels like a defining feature of the format. There's so much ramp and fixing. And I think it's interesting that there's a lot of fixing, but none of it is lands. Yes, a lot of it is creatures, and a lot of it is three-drop creatures. Ramping from three to five is trivially easy in the format, especially in the teamer colors, blue, red, green. Those Mm -hmm. are like the dragon colors. And I think ramping from two to four is a little more rare. I think only really scaled nurturer, the one G02 that taps to add a green, and then if it was the mana was used to cast a dragon spell, you gain two life. That's Mm -hmm. the only way really to go from two to four But there's just so much ramp, so many ways to help you hit land drops. But there's not a ton of efficient ways to avoid flood or like use that mana. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, specialized sort of does that, right? It gives you at least a place that you're happy to discard a land. But honestly, I've cooled even since the article that I wrote for CFB on sort of like what I learned during the early access event, I've cooled on specialize, at least at non rare for the most part. Like I think they're good, but I think you're generally evaluating them on their front side. And then the backside is, is gravy just because a lot of them don't 
mitigate the card disadvantage from discarding something. Yeah, we've got- We'll get to Specialize in a second. Before we get to that, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll be back to go deep on Specialize. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As a listener of this podcast, you're no stranger to investing time into the things that matter most to you. Hobbies like magic are a great way to support an active and healthy brain. Taking care of your mind can be done in all sorts of ways, like using BetterHelp online therapy. Therapy is a great resource for the big hurdles in your personal life, like a breakup or struggling at work. But you don't have to wait for something big like that to come along to give therapy a shot. We think about our physical health on a daily basis, and our mental health should be no different. BetterHelp provides online therapy through a number of mediums, video, phone, and even live chat-only sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's affordable, so you'll be doing right by your mind and your wallet at the same time. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, and our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Lords. That's BetterHelp.com slash Lords. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, let's go deep on Specialized. I know you are not a fan of this mechanic, and I am... Also, I think the ratio of like clunkiness to how the cards play out is just really not worth it. It feels like, you know, complexity for complexity's sake is uh, what some someone in my stream said. And I think I agree with that. But these cards are powerful. Some of them are powerful, at least. I agree. Yeah, I think specializes as a mechanic, obviously terrible, like every content creator has covered it. That's not interesting. But I do think I want to push back. I think a lot of the uncommon specialized cards are really good. You've got in our show notes here, Lulu and Gut probably being the best. I think Viconia is the best by yes. a lot. That's the black two drops. That's the black two, three, pay one to exile something and has specialized two. Yes, I, I agree. I think Viconia is the best by a lot. That that makes sense. That's, that's an egregious uh, exclusion on my part from our show notes. I, I think that's true. But I, I was... Initially thinking that like almost all the specialized cards were good, but then I was noticing that almost none of them at Uncommon recoup the card disadvantage that you get. And I think a a really important thing to notice about the specialized cards, obviously you want to evaluate them on their front side first, but then I also think you want to note the specialized cost and that specialized two or three is way different than specialized four or five. Yes, that's one of the reasons Viconia is so good because you can exile a thing and specialize and get it all like fairly efficiently in a package. The ones that are specialized five pretty much take your whole turn to do. But I think, you know, Lulu, that's the two and a white one, three flying that grants you a boon that gives your next creature flying. That's been really impressive, especially yes. if, you, if you line up the next creature that comes down very well. And Goot has been a little clunky. That's the four red, red, four, three, that when it ETBs, one of your creatures fights another creature. But if you stick that fight, you get a four, three flame tongue Kabu for six mana. And that's just on the front side. I do think there's some really good uncommons. There's also some ones that are terrible or just like D level specialized mm-hmm. cards. And those yes. are the ones where like if you look at their front and the front is not good, it's probably not a good card. Yes, I agree with that. I agree. I think and, and largely I think blue is the biggest fail in that. It's got the three mana two one looter and then the four mana three two that lets you have a thing attack unblocked, but then you have to bounce it back to your hand, which I actually saw Neil Oliver tweet about. He had splashed that in a green white deck and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What am I missing about this card? And he was like, I think this is bad in blue decks and good in non-blue decks. And I was looking at like, well, you can pick up a Myconid, you can pick up an Owlbear, you can pick up a Priest. All of that's pretty appealing. So maybe it's like a secret ETB card in that kind of deck. Yeah. And I think if you've not played a ton of Specialized yet, or maybe you're overwhelmed by Specialized, 
Keep in mind that you can only specialize at sorcery speed. I had not read that far on the cards. So once I read that far and I was like, oh, okay, they can't do this in combat. They can't do it on my turn. Like it, you have to read the cards every time. I think like Mm -hmm. based on the colors of what your opponent is. And that is probably always going to be true. If you want to make sure that you don't accidentally misplay or miss lines of play available to you. But after you play with the cards a bunch, it does get easier. I feel fairly comfortable with most of the specialized cards after I reread them one time at this point. (laughs) I have already misplayed a land, like not thinking about which land I'm dropping in the mid to late game and then realizing, oh, the green backside of this is way worse than the blue backside, but I just played my island and have a forest in hand, and so I have to make it the green backside. So like, you really just want to be thinking about that when you're... uh, when you're going to to specialize and just remember to hold lands when you have specialized cards, right? Like I think yep. that is ingrained in us as magic players when we have cards like thrill of possibility, but it's not yet for specialized. At least it wasn't for me mentally. Yes, I agree with that. I've definitely been just just dropping lands and then top deck to specialized card and been like, ah, dang it. So yeah, the, <laughs> there's there's some like growing pains in that respect in this format, which I have, I actually find to be a feature, not a bug of just like, oh, cool. I have to tweak my heuristics or tweak my sort of knee jerk reactions a little bit. For sure. So back to ramping, those yeah. specialized cards are very good. Certainly some of the ones that have higher specialized costs, the ramp can help you. And then if you tend to flood out because of the ramping, you know, you can pitch that extra land, like you said. But I think if you don't have great reasons for the game going late, you really need to try to get it over with sooner rather than later, much like Crimson Vow. If you're not the one with the bombs, you need to try to end the game before your opponent has a chance to end the game with their bombs. Yeah, it doesn't feel again. I mean, I just think this is kind of magic these days. Like, I don't think we're in mid range territory and limited. I think you're either trying to get under the big top end stuff or you are ramping to your big top end stuff. Certainly in this format, I think that's one of the things that was hardest to wrap my head around was that there was so much good ramp. I was so excited to ramp. And I was playing Double Masters 2022 a lot. And I think there you can draft the ramp and the good things will come. Mm. And that is not necessarily the case in this format. I think you need the good things first and then you kind of get the ramp. Right, because the ramp is, I mean, sure, like, would you like the scaled nurture or whatever? Yes. But like, if you don't get that, you know, you're going to get whatever you're going to get underseller Mike in it, or you can get Pilgrim's Eye, or you can get the three mana mana rock or whatever. You get the orbs that are terrible, but you can still play those. Like, there's a lot, a lot of ways to ramp at three mana. Or an unlimited supply of clever conjurers in blue. <laughs> yes, an unlimited supply. Who is it that tweeted? They're like, who was going to guess that both Ethan and Ben would have a total of eight clever conjurers in their first <laughs> trophy decks. I was like, yeah, it's true. Not me. Not me. I wouldn't have thought that. Um, but here we are. Uh, the other mechanic that I think is sort of defining the format or even more so defining the format is double team and double team we thought was going to be good and it is woefully overperformed my expectations. Yeah, double team is great. I was hot on Genasi Rabble Rousers after looking at it during spoiler season, and it has gone up for me. The card is awesome. That's the one in a red, one three with double team. And when you pay one in a red, each copy of it gets plus one plus oh. So good. I had five of those in a deck yesterday. Oh, my lord. It was a dream, a true dream. Yeah, I think my feeling right now is that the worst one is probably the three mana two two menace in red. And even that one is like a C, a C plus, like they're all great. I think the comparison in my mind feels like it's to shield counters, which is even like the worst creatures with shield counters on them were good. And sure, you could one for one with a shield counter creature with like a whack or a deal gone bad. 
and you can one for one with a double team creature if you kill it before it attacks. But if it attacks, you're getting a two for one. It's almost more egregious than shield counters in some sense, because you have to do the thing right then. Like you have to, it forces you to take your next turn to deal with this thing or get two for one. Yes. Yep. That's exactly right. Just absolutely changes how the game plays out. Whereas the shield counter creature, you could kind of like maybe give yourself a turn or two of wiggle room before you, you know, dug towards your removal spell or whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, you could ignore the, the creature for a few turns or take hits from it for a few turns before you found your removal. Double team does not let you do that. No, no time. I think another feature of this format, I'm curious if you have found this as well. There are a lot of randomly weak packs, I think, especially once you get around to pick five, pick six. They're just the commons. The top few are pretty mm-hmm. good in most of the colors. And I think white and black are pretty deep. But past that in red and green and blue, they fall off pretty hard pretty quickly after the top few commons. Yes, I think I largely agree with that. But the only times that that feels really bad to me is when you don't start off with something powerful, at least like at the uncommon level. Because if you have at least something to like hold on to in terms of like, well, I really want to make sure this makes my deck, then I find that like either you're making some tiebreaker picks to get deeper into one color or something, you know, is open to you and and clearly open in terms of, hey, you got to jump ship for this other color or color pair, but you're being served up good cards there. I haven't found like that I start the draft with nothing good and then by pick five, I still have nothing good. And then I'm like, oh, my deck is just terrible. That hasn't happened to me very often. Right. I agree with that. It just is odd for how like if you asked me how juiced on power level this format is, I would say very powerful. Mm -hmm. But then like it falls off super steeply pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I think that's true, depending on how your packs break, for sure. Yeah. I think another thing that has stuck out to me is that this doesn't feel like a highly synergistic format to me. And I don't mean that, like, you know, you you can definitely do steel and sack in red, black. You can certainly have pockets of life gain in green, white, whatever. Like, there, you can have a pack tactics red, green deck, maybe. Like, you can do the thing that the color pair is. I've definitely done blue, white, blink. But I do think it's more about maximizing the best cards that you see than it is about, like, assembling, hey, I've got column A, column B. I've got all of these enablers for all of these payoffs. That is not what the format feels like to me. No, it's a lot more loose synergy. And there is synergy. But again, I think those best cards just trump even the best synergy that you can create. But you do want to try to have synergy. But again, this is more where core set comes back. Like that's more of a core set thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's, your deck is not often greater than the sum of its parts. Your deck is the sum of its parts. Yeah, in general, the good cards are good. And the more good cards you have, the more winning you're going to do. Like I would bet that the 17 lands data is very useful and points you in the right direction for the most part in this format. Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll be digging into that in the coming weeks. Uh, Just a little too early to tell some helpful stuff there for now. I don't know. Blessed Hippogriff, number one common when I looked this morning. Wait, really? Yeah. Overall. Overall, baby. Wow. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe point for you. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Speaking of specific cards, we're going to be looking at a bunch of overperformers in just a second. We're going to take one more quick ad break, and then we'll be back. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, 
whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or low-carb like me. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness, all things important for grinding those weekend magic tournaments. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. All right, Ben, over performers, what's been good for you in the set so far? We've sung the praise of double team creatures, but I just want to shout them out one more time. So we've got Janasi Rabble Rouser. Already read that. That's the one red one three soldiers of the watch. That's the one in a white two one with double team. That card looks so innocuous, but it is so good. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it just that the two drops, especially when you're on the play, are so good. And, you know, whatever, if, if it's turn four, or turn five and you don't happen to have an attack with it. No big deal. You'll find one eventually, I think, is the thing that is unintuitive. Like, it feels bad when you play Shoulders of the Watch and your opponent plays a 1-3 or a 2-3 or whatever. And you're like, ah, dang it. Now I just have a 2-1. But that's not true. At some point in the game, you're going to make use of double team, I think. For sure. Huge point for you on Warriors of Tiamat. Four and a red for the 4-2 haste with double team. Card has been a beating. Yeah, the card is great. And honestly, Ranger Squadron, too. The six mana, three, four flyer in white. Like, sometimes it's overcosted and they pick it off. But sometimes it's like sort of Imperial Oath vibes, you know? It's Wingmate Rock, baby. Wingmate Rock. That's right. That's right. Wingmate <laughs> Rock. Um, next up is White's trio of two drops. It's got Flaming Fist Dust Guard. That's the two mana three one. When it ETBs, you get a boon with the next creature you play gets uh, perpetually plus one plus O. Oh. Steadfast Paladin, the two mana two two lifelink. And Soldiers of the Watch, two mana two one double team. All three of those are fantastic, aggressive creatures. Yeah, and other color pairs don't get this many premium cards. Like, you're not unhappy putting any of these in your deck. And honestly, I think Steadfast Paladin might be the worst, dare I say. Flaming Fist Dust card has been impressive, giving your three drop, especially if it's an evasive creature, plus one, plus oh. There's just a lot of good cards in white, and it's very deep at common. Flaming Fist Dust Guard into Pilgrim's Eye does not feel fair. You're like, wait, hold on. I thought we were done with Imperial Inspiring Overseer. Inspiring Overseer, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Inspiring Overseer. There it is. Yeah, holy cow. Those cards have been excellent. Speaking of excellent white cards, Steadfast Unicorn, you a believer yet? I'm not a believer yet. Wow. Um, I'm not a believer yet, uh, but I have not also felt, I have not played it myself yet. I have faced it and found it to be serviceable. So, you know, I, I, I'm coming up on it. I'm coming up on it. Oh, I think that card is premium in the white aggressive decks it's been very good for my opponents and the one time i had a white aggro deck it was also excellent yeah next up we've got patriarch's humiliation swords to plowshears baby yeah and single white uh deal damage to a creature equal to the number of creatures you control and you touched on this already but you know you can go pretty wide in this format and largely not because of tokens but because of double team like if when all of your creatures are two creatures it's not difficult to enable this and it's felt like i don't know some of the stuff some of the things that are adventures like you know you just feel nervous 
to fire off a trick or a, a something when your opponent has single white mana up, partially because they could have humiliation or they could have the hippogriff adventure, the indestructible trick. Like, yeah, single white mana gives you a lot of flexibility in this format. Yeah, Patriarch Humiliation is great, and I think one of the reasons the white aggressive decks are so good. Yeah. Next up, we've got Guild Sworn Prowler, one on a black for a 2-1, and it's got Death Touch, and whenever it dies, if it wasn't blocking, you draw a card. This card is insane. Yeah, it's really powerful. It really feels like an uncommon. So it's effectively unblockable when you want to attack with it, because your opponent is never going to just go cool, block, trade, and you draw a card unless they have to. So it's unblockable if you want it to be, or it just blocks and kills whatever it blocks. Or you can even just use it as sack fodder and then draw the card off of it there. That I didn't even like put together that I was like, oh, I can just sack this to Deadly Dispute and draw three cards. That's awesome. Yeah, it's only Kryptonite, I think, is Underseller Myconid. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. It does feel pretty bad against that card. But you still draw a card, right? If you attack into that, you still draw. Right, you get rid of a 1-1 one, one and draw a card. That is not yeah. good. <laughs> no, but it's like that That floor is still medium high, you know? Like that's Yes, Guildsworn Prowler is premium. It's a two for one at two mana at yeah. some point in the game. Uh, next is Reckless Barbarian. This is one in red for a 2-2, two, two, and you can sack it to add red, red. But the big thing about this card for me is that it's a two mana dragon. I did not realize how important that is to some of these team or dragons deck, which is... The real deal, I think. Teamer Dragons is a real deck, and it's a good deck. Wait, Reckless Barbarian is a dragon? You put this card on the list, and you didn't know it was a dragon? Put that card on the list, didn't know it was a dragon. News to me. I thought it was a barbarian. That's like the biggest plus for that card in my mind. Why is this on your list? It's on my list just because it adds red red. I think there are so many busted cards that just do absurd things, and getting to play them two turns ahead of schedule is well worth the cost of a card. This is like dark ritual for your busted alchemy cards that do nonsensical things. Yeah, sure. I'm still not sold on dark ritual being a good limited card. I, I Just wait till you realize that this is a dragon, Ben. You're, you're going to love it. You're going mean, to really love this card. <laughs> but for example, so it's a two mana two two, right? Like it's a yeah. fine card. You want to play two drops in this format. Dragon? Yeah. Sure. Great. Sign me up. Gravy. Yeah. But like you're running as many Reckless Barbarians as you can get in a deck when you have Minskin Boo, for example. Like, playing yeah. that on turn three is game. Like, there's so many cards that when they come down two turns ahead of schedule, the game is just over. And I think that's really valuable in the format. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Next up is Dread Lenorm. This is six and a green for a seven six. Can't be blocked by creatures with power three or less, which is normal. Like, it's one higher than the normal version of that intimidate text or whatever they want to call it. Yeah, it's basically unblockable a lot of the time. Yes. And then it also has an adventure for three and a green. You can play at instant speed and the uh, targeted creature gets two plus one plus one counters and hexproof and you untap it. Yeah, I have liked this card a lot. I don't think I'm quite as high on it as some of the uh, the content creators out there in the Twitterverse, but I've liked it quite a bit. It's really strong. Both of these halves are good. And, and if you fire off both halves, like you get to blank a removal spell or win a combat and then have this giant threat looming, that's, that's really powerful for a common. It is certainly good. And I think Alex has been a huge champion of this card. I have found it a little on the clunky side. It's got good data on 17 lands right now, but the data is like super small sample sizes at this point. Um, I do think it is a unique effect. I have found that the adventure side is pretty easy to see coming if you are paying attention at all and is 
blowoutable. I, like I've beaten a lot of Dreadland arms before they hit the battlefield. So I think make sure you are cautious about the timing that you fire off the instant speed combat trick. And I'm sure there are a lot of times where it is right to just play the Dreadland arm. So your opponent yeah. doesn't know it's coming. You know, you're ramping into a 7-6. Seven, 7-6 six. Seven, six is great. Yeah, I have largely felt, I think, with the adventures that it, it doesn't feel like the adventures in um, Eldraine where you really often wanted to get both halves. I've felt like all of the adventure creatures, I'm like, or mostly, if I'm happy to put them in my deck, I'm usually happy to just play the creature side. And if I get to fire off both, then that's just gravy. But I'm not embarrassed to just play the creature. Yes, I agree. Um, Pilgrim's Eye, overperformer, underperformer, or performing just as you thought it would? I mean, performing as I thought it would, but I think we need to talk about this card because I don't think people are picking it highly enough or playing it often enough. Three mm -hmm. mana for the 1-1 one, one flyer, and when it ETBs, you get to search your library for a basic land card, put it in your hand. That's just a good card in a two-color deck, and when you take it fairly early in the draft, it just opens up so many avenues as far as fixing and splashing for you, and there are a lot of cards that you are interested in fixing and splashing for in the format. Yep. Not to mention that it's got like some synergies like we've talked about with the wears boons very well. Um, I've just really liked this card. I can't tell you how many pack threes I've gone into being like, I have to get a Pilgrim's Eye in this deck or my deck is so much better if I get a Pilgrim's Eye. So yeah, take these early, take these often. Also the hotness with Babala Saga. Oh my God. I love Babala Saga. I got to play a sweet deck that had two copies of it. I got it like Pack one, pick four. I don't know what was happening there. And then if they go open the second copy, pack two, just off to the races. Yeah, so that's a two green black for a four four. And you can tap and sacrifice up to three permanents. And if they were three different types, you get to draw three cards, your opponent loses three life, and you gain three life? No, you don't gain three. Yes, you do. You do gain <laughs> yes, three, you yeah. Do. So if you get a Pilgrim's Eye on a land, sacrificed, you get a refuel, which is pretty busted. Yeah, I had a black green deck with two Bobble Sagas and splashed... I think three incessant provocations. So that's the active treason variant to steal their thing. So he's using that. That was a deck where that was the that was the first and only time I've played the green black self mill deck. And I was sure I promised chat. I was like, I am so certain I'm going to deck myself in at least one of these games. <laughs> but you don't because all it's of the optional. Yeah, all of them are may abilities, which is such good design. So like when you already have the creature you want to reanimate, that five mana reanimation spell, you don't have to mill three as well. Or your mana dork, your two, or not mana dork, but the two mana one, one ETBs, you may mill four. And then when it dies, you can return a land. If you've already got lands or you're close to decking, you don't have to do that. So like before, you know, in AFR, you know, before in Streets of New Capenna, there was a time where you just couldn't cast your snooping newsies because you're like, well, I have six cards left. I can't play this card. That's not the problem in this format, which I think is smart. Yeah, very good design point there. Next up, we've got Black Dragon and Meteor Golem kind of lumped together as these seven mana ETB kill something effects. I think normally Meteor Golem is like kind of clunk central in a core set, like maybe you'll play it. Right, it doesn't actually feel colorless, right? You'd be like, well, it's a colorless card. Well, no, because like green is the only deck that can reliably get to seven mana ahead of schedule or whatever. But that's not the case here. Right. There's treasure. There's ramp running around everywhere. Pilgrim's Eye lets you hit your land drops. And not only is there ramp to get to cast these cards, but there's a lot of ways to blink and abuse them and recast them or re-trigger their ETBs. I think both of these cards have gone up significantly in this format from past formats. Yes, I agree with that for sure. Next up is Saravok the Usurper. This is three and a black for the 3-3. Three, three. 
And at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. And then it specializes into a bunch of different versions of itself. The black one lets you fuel your graveyard. Um, the white one gives first strike. The green one gives trample, I think. But essentially, you are pumping a creature and making it and Saravok better when you specialize. And I've just been really impressed with this as a card that enables attacks for some of your derpier cards, like turning your Pilgrim's Eyes into mm. a 4-1 flyer or a 5-1 flyer is big game. Turning your double-teamed creatures like Soldiers of the Watch instead of a 2-1, you're attacking with a 4-1 or a 5-1. It just does a nice boost to your creatures. And I think the difference between this and the green one, there's a green one that does something similar that costs five mana, but that one has to attack. Like Seravok, you don't have to attack. It just sits on the battlefield and enables attacks for you. I think it's been pretty good. I've, I've liked it a fair amount. All right, sweet. I'll move that up in my pick order. I've been like kind of ignoring it, to be honest, but you're, you're selling me on it for sure. Next up, we've got Breath Weapon, which is two in red for an instant deal two damage to all non-dragon creatures. I have been happy to side this in, but I have not been happy to main deck it so far. Have you been playing it in best of one? I don't know. I want to talk to you about this card because it's hard for me to figure out. I am splashing it currently in a very defensive <laughs> blue-black deck that has no mm -hmm. X2s, but I've also been blown out by it yes. uh, when I've been playing white decks. like It just owns the white double-team aggro decks, except it doesn't kill Genasi Rabble Rousers. Yeah, that's the thing is like they're you're like oh this kills all the things except when it doesn't like doesn't kill the rabble rousers there's you know it doesn't kill scaled nurturer which is the green o2 that ramps because that's a dragon doesn't kill your reckless barbarian because that's a dragon i think it is certainly playable i, I more want to just try to peg down how good it is certainly playable like it's not sideboard material like if you're dragons or you're a control deck like if it lines up well i think you're playing it i is it like a C, a C plus? Is it better than that? I can't tell. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you're saying it's not sideboard material. That is where I have it right now. I'm, I don't think I want to main deck that. I guess I, w I wouldn't main deck it probably in best of three either. I think it is main deckable in best of one, I would say. Okay, I'll, t I'll take your word for it, best of one, Bob. <laughs> Next up, we've got Owlbear Shepherd, which is two and a green for a one four. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creatures with total eight power, you draw a card. This card's awesome. I mean, three mana one four is just, that's good stats Four toughness blocks quite a bit in the format. And it's not hard to assemble. You know, this plus hill giant herd gorger or dread Lenorm. There you go. That's your eight power right there. Okay. I agree that this card is awesome, but again, I want to like dive into where you're picking this card. Cause for some reason, this card gives me a lot of trouble when I see it in packs because I know hmm. it's great, but it's circumstantially great, right? Like you have to meet the conditions. And when you do, it's a game winning card. When you don't, it's kind of medium. So like, Pack one, pick one. Owlbear Shepherd or Dragon's Fire? Oh, oh, you're hitting me with the tough questions here. I just keep facing like these things like, God, I really like Owlbear Shepherd, but I don't like green decks that much. I don't know. Oh, you don't like green decks. Yeah, I, I, my favorite deck so far has been like Blue Green Ramp. Shocking. Um, <laughs> sho I know, I know. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very on brand for me. Um, I, right now, I think I would take Owlbear Shepherd, but I could see Dragon's Fire being right. But it's like... I have it in that like B minus B territory. I think it's really good for how like cheap it is and how like you don't really have to do a lot of setup for it because the only deck where it's not going to be great is like a green aggressive deck. And I just don't think green aggressive decks are going to come together that often. So you're often ramping and there's no shortage of top end, right? Owlbear, Herdgorger, Lenorm, and that's just at common. I, I don't think it's that hard to set this up in most decks i agree like i i don't know like i don't know if dragon's fire or albert shepherd is better and it's hard for me to figure that out yeah okay 
All right, Pegasus Guardian is up next. This is the five and a white for three, three flying Pegasus. And if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn, you get a one, one Pegasus at the beginning of your end step. And then the adventure side is one and a white instant. You blink something, you exile it and bring it back to the battlefield. This looked like clunk central to me. Yeah. And it is kind of clunky. One of the things that hadn't quite really internalized is when you play it at six mana, if something died in combat or whatever, like you get the one, one Pegasus that turn. So it's kind of... 4-4 four, four power and toughness of flying for six mana spread across two bodies, which is a little more palatable. I think this is better than it looks, especially when you factor in the adventure and that that's an effect you're interested in in white decks in the format. The thing that I think is tricky about this card to evaluate it is that it looks like a blue-white card, but I think largely in blue-white blink, you would much rather have air cult elemental in your six drop slot. But this card shines in black white yes. because of because of treasure. What I didn't put together was that like you ramp this out on turn five with a treasure, you're getting that one one. The thing about the black white signpost uncommon, the four mana two four that like perpetually gets plus yeah. x plus o, that with treasure makers is ridiculous. Yeah, Minthora is awesome or whatever yeah, the that, name of it is. That card is absurdly good. Huge overperformer. I happily splashed that in a red black deck the other day. Um, yeah, so I, I think just. Clocking that, clocking that treasure triggers those things as well is uh, is a really good thing to to keep in mind. Yeah, that card should be on this list as well. The black, white, gold uncommon. Also, it's arena animation where it like spazzes out yeah. for one second drives me insane. Like, <laughs> this is the best coding we have for this oh. effect. All right, that's that's salt point number two. Salt point number uh, two. <laughs> next up, we've got Shambling Gas. This is a single black for a 1-1. One, one. When it dies, you can either make a treasure token or give a thing minus one, minus one until end of turn. Card's great. It was great in AFR. It's great here. I know. I had forgotten how good it was, and I think I was even still too low on it at the end of AFR, and I knew yeah. it was good. If you want to slow down the game, Shambling Gas is your go-to. All the black sack outlets from afr are here sepulcher ghoul deadly dispute and skullport merchant that's the same three that we had in the last format so you can do the sacrificey stuff and this is your just bread and butter fodder for those cards next up is two-handed axe this is an equipment two in a red for an equipment and it's got an equip cost of one in a red whenever equipped creature attacks double its power until end of turn the better side of this card sweeping cleave ember cleave one in a red, instant for an adventure, target creature control gains double strike until end of turn. I have been pretty impressed with this card from my opponents. I have mentally shifted it up in my pick order yet, but I've not had a chance to play with it yet. Do you like this card? I, again, have not played it myself, but have faced it and was impressed by it. So I have it like a mental note of like, huh, maybe this is better. I don't know if it's like, do I want this in all red decks? Do I only want this in aggressive red decks? Do like you need to prioritize Hobgoblin captains more so that you get like the higher boost? I don't know yet, but I have this, a mental note as well. Is it like C plus is kind of where I'm at on it right now? Like doesn't pull me into red yet necessarily, but very yeah. good in red decks. Yeah, I think I'm definitely taking the top commons over this in red for sure. Yes. Last card on this list is Ambitious Dragonborn. This is three and a green for a zero zero. It enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control and creature cards in your graveyard. Shout out to my opponent who I did end up beating, who fired this off on turn three off a scaled nurturer, just plopped it right into the play and right into their <laughs> oh, graveyard. No. But the game was still surprisingly close. I don't know how that was true, but uh, but it was. Anyway, you've got this card on the list. What uh, what do you like about this card? I, I just want to ask you how good this is again, <laughs> because it is always a 7-7 seven, seven for my opponents. Yeah. And like, it's been that enough that I'm starting to wonder if I'm not just unlucky, and it is actually 
a pretty good card in the in the green black graveyard decks. What are your yeah. thoughts on this card? I don't know because I've only dra- like I said, I only drafted the green black graveyard deck once and it was more focused around Babala Saga than it was around like self mill and, and powering these out. But I could see it. I agree. I, I haven't put one in my deck yet. Like I don't think I think that's the right way to think about it is that it's better in green black self mill than it is in something like, you know, blue green ramp, because I think you're just trying to ramp into your actual seven sixes than you are trying to like get a cheap seven seven or whatever. Um, but I could see it for sure. Yeah, I played this in a black green deck in the early access and I would was not impressed. But I have been just beaten down by this card on turn four. This is classic Ben for sure. I know. I just I need a gut check. I needed I needed to know that you don't think this card is insane. I don't think this card is insane. Um, Another card that I think has taken a hit and we'll probably talk about more of these in the coming weeks, but just wanted to to pop up these few cards here that we talked about. A card that I think is a lot worse than it was in AFR is Portable Hole. This is a single white artifact. When it ETBs, you exile a non-land permanent that your opponent controls with mana value two or less until portable hole leaves the battlefield. The exclusion of the class enchantments and Reaper's Talisman from AFR, I think, make this card a lot worse. Yeah, I have zero interest in portable hole in this format. Yeah, that's my feeling, too. It took me too long to realize that. Like, I kept taking it highly, kept including it, and then kept having it rot in my hand. And I was like, I'm going to stop doing this. (laughs) All right, we talked about some individual cards. Let's get into the color power rankings. I would say for me, white is at the top, very close with black. Like those two are top one and two, like neck and neck. Then there's kind of a gap. And then I would say green and red are three and four. I think if I were forced to pick, I would say personally red three for me, but probably green is deeper at common than red. So those are very close at three and four. And then there's another gap and there's blue. And not like unplayable blue like AFR, but would prefer not to draft blue if the draft allows me to do that kind of a feeling. Yeah, I, I feel less so about that. Like I'm happy to draft blue. But as we talked about, like I, I really would like to know that I'm the only blue drafter at the table. I don't particularly want to fight over it. I also think like I'm I'm curious. This is more of a, a hypothesis than a, a, a like solid feeling I have. I wonder if being deep at common matters in this format. Like it obviously matters in terms of like you'll get functional decks or whatever. It's like more of a draw to a color. But if it's more about maximizing the best cards that you see, I'm not sure if like having like a deep roster of commons matters that much in terms of a color ranking. You know, I do because the the both those colors, white and black that are deep at common are deep aggressively at common. So that's how yeah, that's what you okay, do, okay. right? Like that's yeah. the default if you don't see the good cards is that you draft white, black, red aggressive decks. Word. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so moving into each color, I do think they all do things pretty well. So what does each color offer you? White is super aggressive in this format, and I think it also has the capability to play a supporting role if you don't have an aggressive version of the white decks. Like I think it can complement blue very well, or it can complement green very well in a life gain deck. But I think its default is I want to beat down and then you know combine that with those two drops, Patriarch's Humiliations, and just being generally busted at common i think is its biggest strength yeah for sure next up we've got blue and i'll i'll, I'll be taking the the the, re- <laughs> the reins here ben don't you worry um i think blue is is good i i, I tweeted about this i was just like Whoa. hey i i think i i wouldn't even say blue is not bad i just think blue is good it might be the worst of the five colors i just still think it's it's a good color i've been 
particularly happy with blue-green Dragon Ramp and blue-white Blink, both out of uh, my side of the battlefield and my opponents. Um, I think Young Blue Dragon is very good. I think Undersimplify is very good. Lizard Light. Lizard Folk Librarians is very good as, as Blue's double team creature. Clever Conjurer as a reprint gets better because there's more stuff to ramp into. And Air Cult Elemental, I think, gets better because there's so many ways to ramp. So those would be like my top five-ish blue commons. And then I think blue offers stuff at higher rarity as well. Um, and obviously it can play a support role too, but I, I've just been happy specifically with blue green and blue white haven't played blue black yet that looks more clunky to me i'm not quite sure how that's going to fit together and i think probably blue red dragons as well though that all feels like teamer soup to me yeah i've actually played blue black in my last two drafts it's been a fun deck it's really hard to pilot it's it's kind of a true control deck Ooh. with with sometimes like the on hit effects like the three two draw card it's an interesting mm-hmm. deck i have enjoyed playing the blue black decks i've drafted the last couple times I will say Soul Knife Spy also kind of feels better in this format to me, and I can't quite peg down why. I haven't been playing them myself, but I have faced them a lot and often been like, oh no, because like my if my turn three play is Pilgrim's Eye, if I'm all geared up to Pilgrim's Eye on three and my opponents dropped a Soul Knife Spy, I'm like, oh man, this is going to like get some value for them. Yeah, I agree. I think Soul Knife Spy is a little bit better. Well, I also want to talk real quick about undersimplify and why it's shifted down for me to the number two spot behind young blue dragon is that i think undersimplify is very good this is the one in a blue uh quench variant right counter the spell unless they pay two and if it was a creature spell it perpetually gets minus two minus oh there is some awkwardness in the cards that blue wants to play in terms of both young blue dragon and clever conjurer in that like you telegraph undersimplify a lot like adventures if you're not casting your adventure and you're holding up undersimplify that's going to ring some alarm bells. If you're like, you know, you use your clever conjurer because you have to use it at sorcery speed to untap a land and then you pass with two mana up, that should ring some alarm bells. So there are going to be builds of blue where I think undersimplify gets better, the, the less of those other cards you have, or it will get worse the more of those other cards you have. Yeah, I agree. I think it has just been hard to find cards to complement it at instant speed that are Yes. Good. Like a lot of times your deck is tap out cards, creatures and undersimplifies, which is still fine. Like you're still playing it there, but it's not as insane, but still definitely a good card in the format. You're picking it highly. You're playing it. I don't think you're cutting a copy from blue decks. And some players I've just found like even on as early as this week one are playing around it effectively, even without seeing it. You know, in best of three, my opponent hasn't seen it from me in game one, but they're just doing a good job of playing off curve and holding up the two mana or whatever. And that can feel bad if you've loaded up on like three or four copies of it. Yes, I agree. Next up, we've got black. I think this is number two color, as we said. Super versatile, I think, is black's biggest point. Like, I think it can play very aggressive. I think it can play very controlling. And again, it's got a super deep roster of commons. Like, you go down to the seventh, eighth black common, and they're still good, right? Yeah, yeah. They're all cards you're, like, happy to play. They're all at, like, C-plus level, basically. Right. And I think it plays very well with every color pair. Black, white, one of the best decks in the format. Black and blue complement each other pretty well. I found black, red, still great, like it was an AFR, still looks mm-hmm. very similar to AFR. And then black, green also just has a lot of good cards available. Like you can play black, green, good cards, or you can play black, green, graveyard shenanigans as well. Yeah, that's what, again, one of the things that I have liked about the format so far is that the shells of decks haven't felt the same. Like whatever, even a blue, green, dragony ramp deck 
from deck to deck has looked a little different. My red black decks, sometimes they're doing steel and sack. Sometimes they're doing treasure. My black green deck, maybe it's going to do a graveyard thing. Maybe it's doing a just good cards thing. Like the shells for the archetypes haven't felt like this is the only thing you can do. Yeah, I think that is true. Red, just great removal, great two drops, Dragon's Fire and the um, Genasi Rabble Rouser are just fantastic cards. It's best at being aggressive, I think, and supporting black and white, which are the two best colors. So that's a good spot to be in. Right. I think green is like, you know, when we're comparing red and green, because I think they're pretty close. Like green, I think, has its own thing a little bit better than red and does its own thing a little bit better at red. But red pairs so well with those two best colors in black and white that I I think it gets the nod over green for me because of that. But if you aren't getting into black and white and you're doing your own thing, I think green is better at that than red is, for example. Yeah, I agree with that. So speaking of green, it is premium at ramping and fixing and is a great base color for the dragon's decks. I think it is going to be pretty rare to have a a straight blue red dragon deck i think most of the time you're going to be taking advantage of green's ramp and fixing Mm -hmm. and i have found a little tension and i'm curious as to if this is just me or you have experienced this as well because you've played a lot of green i have felt a little tension in the ramp plus big things right because it's it's still like cube in that like you have to draw your stuff in the right order and sometimes you Mm -hmm. draw all your ramp and none of your top end or you have a hand with two herd gorgers and a linen worm and none (laughs) of your ramp but yet all of that stuff isn't quite good enough to be worth that headache to me in some senses uh i have not found that but i mean we're working with such small sample sizes here that it's not hard for like that happens to you twice and doesn't happen to me that that skews your perception of it you know For sure. I have also felt some tension of if I'm green, I have to feel like I'm ramping, like that it's hard to have normal looking green decks paired with the other colors. I have felt that as well, which has been a little weird. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think green has, in some senses, what white often has had a problem with in that it has a split personality a little bit. Like the green decks in this format either want to ramp or be aggressive. And there are basically cards that go in one version of that or the other. And I think Noel, I just don't think you often want to be aggressive. And so Noel Hunter sort of falls by the wayside in my mind, whereas Scaled Nurturer and Underdark Basilisk as a good little roadblock, I think are your your two drops of choice. And, you know, while I'm sort of saying, I think you, you're, you're going to get the top end or whatever, but how do you know when to prioritize? Like, are you just always taking the owl bears at a certain point? Do you have to take skill nurture over an owl bear? Do you have to eat your vegetables? That type of thing. I, I have found drafting green to be interesting in that respect, but I agree with you of like, you know, it, does it do both things equally well or is it only doing the ramp thing? And if so, what's its best colors to pair with? Cause it's not really like green, white. You might think like, well, I got all these ETBs. I can like get my priests and my owl bears or whatever. Or maybe I'm supposed to do this life gain thing with Trellisara. I just don't think green white is that good. I think it's still there. I mean, like it looks very similar to AFR. But I mean, if you get a green white life gain deck, I think it is good. But are there life gain? Like, I don't know. Without cleric class, I feel like the life gain deck took a hit in my mind. Like if I think about what a good green white deck looks like, it's good because Priest of Ancient Lore and Owlbear are so good. Not because I'm like pumping up my Trellisara, you know? That's fair. Yeah. I mean, like Prosper's Innkeeper is pretty necessary for that deck to come in together. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I think I think green pairs well with colors if those colors are providing you good top end to ramp to. And are you picking the ramp cards first and then like hoping to get the Linoworms 
on the wheel, like that has also felt awkward for me because I feel pretty medium about all of those cards. Like I, I feel tension in whether I'm supposed to take the top end and hope to wheel the ramp or take the ramp, hope to wheel the top end. And then if it neither one of those things happens, like you're kind of in trouble. Yeah. Well, if neither one of those things happen, like why were you drafting green? But also I have to call you out. You keep saying Lino Worm. It's just Linorm. Linorm. There's no worm. It's not a worm. It's not a worm. It's a dragon. Sorry. I'm a so dragon. sorry, Linorm. Yeah. That's a really good question. So I think I'm taking Owlbear as my top green common. The only time I've taken something over that was when I think I already had like two and I was like, I need ramp. I need ways to get into my top end. Um and I think Scaled Nurturer feels unique as a two-mana ramper. And then I'm not really prioritizing the three-mana ramp stuff because it's so abundant. Okay, okay. I did remember my other point that we were talking about before the show while you were talking about Green there and Null Hunter. Um, it is that there are so many things in this format that snowball so rapidly out of control. And like Null Hunter, not a good version of that, but that does happen with pack tactics, right? But double team snowballs out of control so easily. Mana ramp and getting ahead on mana snowballs Mm -hmm. out of control so easily. That is, I think, a defining thing of the format. And I would say a knock against it in my personal opinion. I think that's true, but I also would maybe just say that that's kind of... When was the last set where that wasn't true? Yeah, it's just kind of magic. I think that's just limited magic these days. It's just like being like winning the die roll matters. And a lot of the mechanics like get better if you're first, get better the more of them you, that you do. Like, I just think that's what what the game is these days. That's a bummer. <laughs> There's always chess, Ben. There's always chess. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about the colors. If we look at top archetypes, we've kind of got them grouped into tiers here. These are my groupings. I'm not going to include you unless you you want to chime in that you agree. So I, I'll tap out for this portion. Yeah, I'll let you uh, <laughs> let you take the wheel. <laughs> Tier one, I think I would say white, black, white, red, red, black. The Mardu colors on the back of them coming together at common and being very good aggressive decks. I've also been impressed with green, black, just on raw card quality and mono white as well. Certainly, if you get it to come together. Mono white, I think, is insane. Moving on to tier two, I'd have green, white, blue, white, red, green, and mono green. I think that is a thing that you could do. But again, it suffers a little bit from the lack of interaction, which is a little tough. I can't imagine being mono green in the format. Like one of the things that I like about this format so much is how, like, I guess maybe 50% of my deck so far, and again, small sample size, have been two colors splashing a third, maybe splashing a fourth. Um, but the fact that there is such an abundance of fixing, but that the fixing takes up spell slots for you has made drafting and deck building interesting. And then you also have to think about what's worth splashing. So, I, I, But I've just found that the power level is there often enough that you'll find stuff worth splashing for. I think that is largely true as well. I agree. And then in tier three, I would have the rest of the blue decks. I would have blue, red, blue, green, and blue, black. Although I kind of want to bump blue, black up to tier two after playing with it a couple times. But blue's still pretty rough. Uh, no comment. I, <laughs> I, I abstain from this tier list. But let's get I, what I won't abstain from is our top commons re-ranked, which is what we'll finish things off with here. Um, we are largely, I think, in agreement. White is where we differ the most. Where are you at with white? White, I'm at Blessed Hippogriff number one. Priest of Ancient Lore, number two. And then there's so many things that could number three could be. I think I would put Patriarch's Humiliation over Minimus Containment if you're aggressive. If you're not aggressive, Patriarch's Humiliation falls off a lot. Mm-hmm. And then there's all of the two drops. White is so good at common. And I, I again, I'm not sure about the order past Blessed Hippogriff. That is my number one for sure. I think Priest is number two. But Humiliation's so good 
when it's good in the context of your deck that it's hard to like you can't just pick it as your number one white common unless you're certain you're going to end up aggro yeah i think that's true and maybe you should just be building white as aggro like that's what it does best right yeah and i think minimus containment has been good as well. Like you need removal. I think I would take Patriarch's Humiliation over Minimus Containment, but it's close. Yeah. Um, my ranking is Priest of Ancient Lore number one, Soldiers of the Watch number two, that's the two one with double team, and then Patriarch's Humiliation number three. And maybe I'm just still way too off on Hippogriff, which is a card I think is very good, but I just don't think I'm taking it over those other three cards right now, just based purely on mana value, honestly. Yeah, moving on to blue. In the number one spot, we've got Young Blue Dragon. That's the adventure, one in a blue, scry one draw card, and then five mana for a 3-3 flying dragon. In the number two slot, we've got Undersimplify, the counterspell, unless they pay two, and if it's a creature, it gets minus two, minus O perpetually. And then in number three, we've got Lizard Folk Librarians. That's the four mana, two, four, ETB scry two with double team. Moving on to black. In the number one slot, we've got Sewer Plague, two and a black for an instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two perpetually. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, it gets another minus one, minus one perpetually. Yeah, I didn't realize this was each upkeep. So even if it's a big thing, it's going to die in a hurry. And the fact that this is three mana, not four, it's instant speed, it's splashable. All of that has unseated Grim Bounty for the number one removal spot there. And we're actually going to put Guildsworn Prowler in the number two slot. This is the one on a black two one with death touch. And when it dies, if it wasn't blocking, you draw a card. Yep. And then the number three, Grim Bounty, two black, black, destroy something, make a treasure. Uh, in red, number one, we've got Dragon's Fire, one on a red, deal three. But honestly, in this format, it is like pretty... But honestly, in this format, it is pretty trivial to have this deal four, five, six, seven sometimes. Like... Because of the dragon text on this card, it can really kill things efficiently. Yeah, it's somehow even better than it was in AFR. Yeah, I think so. Number two, we've got Genasi Rabble Rouser, the one in a red 1-3 with double team, and you can pay one in a red to give each copy of it plus one plus oh. And I think in number three, shout out to me, Warriors of Tiamat, the four in a red 4-2 with haste and double team. Yeah, the card is great. Incessant Provocation as well. And I, honestly, I think Incessant Provocation, you can run even without sacrifice outlets and feel okay about it if you're aggressive because it forces the thing to attack. So it essentially removes a blocker and pushes some damage, which is something you're very interested in in a red aggressive deck. I mean, if you played the Streets of New Capenna Alchemy event, red got that uncommon active treason as well, right? That then basically said the thing couldn't block and then dealt you a damage or whatever. I mean, Incessant Provocation does that in a sense. The fact that it has to attack each turn of Fable effectively is what the like can't block text is anyway unless it has vigilance right yes yeah and then in green i, I feel ashamed that i didn't put owlbear in number one last week because i definitely feel like that's where it is this is three green green for the four four with trample and then when it enters the battlefield you draw a card yeah and then past that the order gets a little murky i think and I, I, there would be people that would say good good magic players that would even say that owlbear is not number one i think like scaled nurturer number two one on a green for an o2 tap to add a green and then if it was a dragon spell you gain two life i certainly think if you're casting a lot of dragons scaled nurturer is the number two green common the fact that it's a two mana ramper in a format where that doesn't come up very often is important and that dragon text is pretty relevant like if you I, I have had more than one blue green dragons deck that had you know upwards of a dozen dragons ish 
And the fact that this recoups the life that you're losing while you're like setting up your ramp and ramping to your big stuff really makes a difference. Yes, completely agree. Underseller Mykonid in the number three slot. And again, I think if you're not dragonzing, Mykonid might be better than Nurturer. It's two and a green for the one, two, taps to add a man of any color, and it brings a one, one sapperling along with it. And when it dies, you get a one, one sapperling as well. Yeah, card's great. I mean, shout out to the big top end. We've got Dread Lenorm, we've got Hill Giant Herdgorger, and even Band Together as green's only removal spell at common or uncommon, but I think those other three cards are ahead of that honorable mention pack for me. Yes. And Band Together has been important, certainly, yes. if you don't have other removal spells, right? It's hard yeah. for me. I think one of the other things is what kind of I mentioned about like, I don't really know whether I'm taking the top end or the ramp or the band mm. together. It's, like, it's been hard for me to read signals on green because if someone else is doing the opposite of what you are, like you end up taking all each other's stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a feature, right? I mean, because if, if it was so easy to read great, read signals in green, why would this game be fun? Why would we need a podcast? You know? Yeah, it's hard. All right. Magic's hard. Magic's hard. Magic's hard and think snowball. And that's just how it works. <laughs> Any parting thoughts on Baldur's Gate before we go? I mean, I'm kind of jonesing for a draft. I know you're not liking this format. I know you're not vibing with it. And maybe we even want to dig into like why in future weeks, because I think but the alchemy stuff aside i know that's a really divisive part of this set for the community at large like people are really split on you know alchemy is the worst thing to happen to magic or whatever and like the arena economy is predatory that is not stuff that you and i engage with personally um but i do think like digging into like why we're enjoying or not enjoying a format might be worth doing uh, in a few weeks yeah, for sure. I would say, I think just cliff notes, because I have been pretty vocal on Twitter and on my stream about not liking this format. I think it just doesn't have a lot of the things that I'm looking for from Magic. There's not much of a puzzle here with so many of the cards coming from AFR already. And then the the bomb rares that invalidate the game. I think the pick orders are fairly static. Wait, the pick orders are fairly static, except then you're like, I don't know how to pick these cards or these cards or where are you taking these or what's the grade? <laughs> I mean, green, it can't yeah, be both. It can't be both, Ben. <laughs> Green's a bunch of medium cards. That's why I've been staying away from green. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think also this is not the format's fault necessarily, but this is a large portion of it. I think Double Masters 22 is insanely good, and I resent this format for being out at the same time as Double Masters 2022 and not really feeling like we should be dedicating podcast content to 2022 because so many people are going to be drafting that once or twice. Like maybe we could do an episode on that format and it would help some people. But this is the format and I resent this format for not being Double Masters 2022. That is like the first thing that, that rings true to me. I'm like, I get that. I understand that because <laughs> I would be mad too if there were like there was like uh, I don't know chromatic cube out and I was like I like this other thing better but I can't play it because I have to play this other thing yeah and I mean it's magic I and again I I dislike this format I love magic like so do, like am I grouchy while I'm playing the format yeah am I having a good time while I'm streaming magic still most of the time <laughs> <laughs> could have fooled me <laughs> could have fooled me buddy. <laughs> Uh, all right, great place to wrap us up there. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. 
We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.